Section 5 of By Ox Team to California, A Narrative of Crossing the Plains in 1860, by Lavinia Honeyman Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 5. The Cherokee Trail, over which we were traveling, soon ran into the mountains near the Cache La Poudre, and henceforth for many weary miles we did not come across neither were we overtaken by any emigrant or others moving westward while in camp near this river i could not help but wonder at the beauty of the grand scenery surrounding us on all sides above us was the bright dome of a heaven so free from all earthly smoke and vapor so clear and transparent that the stars seemed closer and shone with an exceeding brilliancy the air was filled with a balmy sweetness and yet so limpid and clear that even in the starlight we could catch faint glimpses of the shimmering trees in the distant river our campfire leaped and roared in great flames as if it too tasted the unlimited oxygen in the atmosphere beyond its bright light purple black and gray bluffs towered up in the clear dark sky the silence was profound broken only now and then by a yelp from a coyote as he sneaked warily beyond the gleam of our fire the river flowed at our feet hurrying on its way over rocks and boulders and bars of sandy debris carrying its message of melody from rocky mountain snows to the gulf and broad atlantic when at last our tired eyelids were closed we slept as profoundly as if we were in our own bedchamber on this part of our journey we encountered many bad roads in fact they were only trails crossing high and rugged hills deep ravines with rough and jagged sides dark and dismal canyons between towering mountains many times we forced our way over the rocks that had fallen during the heavy rains from their steep slopes and had to cross streams filled with boulders and choked with brush and fallen timber frequently we chained and double locked our wagon wheels to prevent them crashing down some long and steep incline and often a fallen tree lay across our path that had to be hewn and lifted by main strength for days our progress would not average eight or ten miles at times we came to a mountain up whose rugged slope it was almost impossible for our straining animals to pull the wagon my husband would be at the oxen's heads urging and encouraging them in the fearful pull while i followed closely behind the wagon carrying a big stone with which to block the wheels when the cattle stopped to blow and rest while traveling through the mountains between denver and laramie we had determined on keeping the fourth of july as a grand holiday i had taught my little son all the patriotic songs that i knew brought forth from my goods and chattels our american flag and decorated our wagon and tent with the red white and blue regretting our lack of firecrackers or fireworks from our limited larder i made preparations for a holiday dinner we had camped the night before the fourth in a little fertile valley surrounded on all sides by high mountains many of the higher peaks were covered with snow but down in this little valley the air was balmy and mild as a fourth of july day should be here we picked our first wild strawberries a luxury indeed to our appetites 
cloyed to satiety with salt bacon and beans our bill of fare was constructed on very simple lines yet i do not think it would have been unacceptable even to a pampered epicure a day or two previous we had bartered with an indian a pound of sugar for a leg of antelope for our first course we had antelope soup then roast antelope and a piece of boiled ham with a curry of rice and our last can of tomatoes i also made some very palatable cookies even without the eggs which were considered so very necessary in their makeup stewed dried fruit and the fresh strawberries formed our dessert and with an excellent cup of coffee completed a meal that anyone might enjoy notwithstanding that the cups and dishes were of tin and our table a board over a humble and empty soap-box we had hardly finished this bountiful repast when up the narrow defile that led into this little valley we saw approaching us two white men on horseback leading two horses they informed us that they were prospectors on their way back to denver all they possessed being the few provisions and blankets that were packed on their extra horses they requested our hospitality for the night which we gladly gave them it was often our good fortune to meet with a trapper or scout or some wandering prospector from whom we could get some useful information i was glad i had such a good dinner for them when they had finished eating there were not enough left to feed the birds they very feelingly remarked that it was the best meal they had eaten since they had left their homes in the far east we knew not whether they were friends or foes but treated them as royally as we could next morning they started over their lonely road for denver the next night brought a change of spirit for our camp was pitched near a little village of indians whom we had been warned were very hostile to emigrants and we were truly at their mercy for they were a warlike band while i was preparing our evening meal the chief and a number of his braves came and sat down in a semicircle around our campfire and asked in their broken way and by signs for coffee sugar and biscuit i gave them what i could from the quantity already cooked and james gave them some tobacco to smoke after sitting and smoking in silence one got up and went away followed at intervals by another until finally we were left alone how anxiously we spent that night none can ever know who have never been exposed to the dangers of savage life our fears proved groundless and the next morning we passed through their camp they were making preparations to break up their own encampment having a large band of ponies they were compelled to move further on for newer and more abundant pasturage this was our first sight of a moving indian village and a more novel curious animated scene i never witnessed i was quite indignant while i watched the indifferent braves lounging carelessly around unmindful of the labor of their poor overworked squaws the former too proud and disdainful to assist the squaws in their burden of taking down their lodges dismantling their camp and loading their various trappings upon their primitive means of transportation drawn by ponies and dogs a number of lodge poles were fastened to the sides of the ponies the ends of which trailed on the ground and on these poles behind the animal was fastened a light framework interlaced with strips of rawhide which formed a sort of platform over this strong trellis of rawhide and framework 
were spread buffalo robes the paraphernalia of their camp and their most treasured clothing on top of all were stowed their papooses and young puppies the whole camp with the exception of the stolid and lazy braves was in motion squaws dogs and ponies were all on the alert and moving ready to leave the old camp for the new the women trudged patiently along by the litter that carried their offspring these youngsters strapped to their straight boards with their uncovered eyes blinking in the sun looked anything but comfortable yet i do not remember of ever hearing an indian baby cry or murmur occasionally a squaw becoming weary with her long walk after her arduous labor of loading up the animals would mount the litter to rest or nurse her papoose this method of riding was said to be very comfortable as the elasticity of the supporting poles made the motion easy a number of these litters were prepared for the aged and infirm braves and others who had been crippled in their numerous combats and this was their only mode of locomotion they had to be assisted on and off by their ever faithful squaws who drove the animals as well the numerous dogs that infested all indian encampments were made to do duty on these occasions and a similar equipment to that of the horses but on a smaller scale was attached to them on which were loaded the lighter articles of the camp we followed on in the wake of these moving aborigines until our noon halt while they continued on their way to their further abiding place the chief remained behind with us waiting no doubt for an invitation to our midday meal to which we felt compelled to invite him very much to his satisfaction after filling his capacious stomach to repletion and eating as much as three men would take at a meal he arose and tried to express his gratification by rubbing his stomach with great gusto it was characteristic of the indians whenever an opportunity offered to lay in a supply of food against any future fasts evidently our hospitality and courteous treatment won their hearts for they showed no signs of hostility to us in fact from their general demeanor they rather inspired us with a confidence which seemed to sanction our presence in their midst chapter nine the rocky mountains cheyenne pass lost cattle restored crossing the chugwater shoeing lame oxen arriving at fort laramie i cannot now remember how many times we crossed that wonderful river the north platte and its tributaries it seemed to roam hither and thither at its own sweet will it appeared quite a torrent as it rushed out of some deep canyon clear as crystal and cold as ice and again it was a wide stream filled with small islands and except at the melting of the snows in the spring one could almost wade across it the indian name for this river was weeping water but tradition said that the name had been changed to the platte for a woman missionary who was very much beloved by a tribe of pawnee indians during high water the crossing of this river was very dangerous owing to the quicksands and the continual changing of the channel usually in the vicinity of the fords men were stationed whose business it was to see emigrants and their cattle safely over often at a tax of eight or ten dollars a wagon occasionally we would arrive at the banks of the stream and find the ferryman away from his post 
and much against our will were compelled to wait his return we made the welkin ring with our shouts and hallos to bring back the missing guide at one of these crossings of the platte the ferryman advised us to take the trail leading more in the north than west in order to more quickly reach the opening of cheyenne pass thereby saving us several days hard driving over a mountainous country we arose at the dawning of day and with an early start hoped to reach the entrance of the pass by nightfall but the drive proved as usual to be longer than we expected and the miles lengthened out until we found ourselves at night in a barren inhospitable spot where the feed was not abundant james here tied two yoke of our oxen together in pairs and let them roam in order to get sufficient sustenance on the scanty feeding ground the remaining two oxen he had picketed with long ropes thinking that the loose cattle would not wander far away from them imagine our dismay when we woke the next morning to find no sign of the other stock this was not an agreeable prospect as we could not hope to recover or replace our faithful animals what were we to do i was afraid to be left alone while my husband went in search of them and i greatly feared for his safety in the uncertain chase i watched him leave me with feelings of doubt and anguish but we both knew there was no alternative as we could go no further with only the one remaining yoke so mounting the horse he ascended the range of mountains beyond us and there to his wonder saw an indian driving the loose stock towards our camp james halted until the indian reached him not knowing what was awaiting him but the indian on his near approach by making signs and pointing backwards implied that he had found the wandering cattle in the range beyond james turned at once and came back to camp the indian following with the cattle on reaching our camp the indian catching up the rope with which he had tied our cattle together placed it in my husband's hands we were overjoyed and surprised at the manner of their restoration and wondered greatly that the indian who had us completely in his power had returned them in that way it truly seemed to us that in our long journey traveling alone that the indians watched over us perhaps our utter loneliness and unprotected position showing them that we had the most implicit confidence in them awoke in their breasts a feeling of chivalrous protection our confidence and resolution in the face of overpowering numbers may have won their regard be that as it may in our ignorant fearlessness we came through the many hostile tribes unmolested and unhurt while we heard details of various raids against emigrants who had preceded us i was led to believe that the tribes with whom we came in contact had some secret sign whereby they communicated with one another for we frequently noticed the smokes of fires on different heights as we traveled or stopped at our numerous camps sometimes the smoke would ascend straight up into the air in columns at other times it would be diffused and wavering by degrees learning then and long after that this was their method of communicating with each other at a distance we at last came to the conclusion that in this or some other way the indians had taken charge of us with feeling of gratitude at the kindly action of the indian who had brought our wandering stock back to us i prepared a bountiful breakfast 
for i had learned that the way to a red man's heart lay in the same direction as that of his more civilized brother and i have never found an appeal to the stomach in vain i even made extra efforts to whet his ever-ready appetite i made my lightest flapjacks browned them with the lovely hue that made them most inviting sprinkled them with sugar so tempting to the indians and poured cup after cup of my aromatic coffee which evidently from the number he drank fully satisfied his critical tastes while slice after slice of bacon and beans without stint went into his capacious stomach i wondered if he had eaten anything for a month so marvelous was the quantity that disappeared he stayed with us until we left camp and started out on our day's travel i gave him a loaf of the warm bread i had baked and a piece of bacon to take with him he followed us for a while then took his departure down the canyon and was lost to view as we proceeded northward toward the main line of overland travel our route lay over a badly gullied region and we crossed many streams emerging from the mountains by one of these our trail ran for more than forty miles and in its tortuous windings we crossed it many times the red buttes were conspicuous all along this river the earth which gave them their peculiar color was said to be rich in iron on the lower bottoms of this stream the grass was luxuriant but the mosquitoes and gnats swarmed in such numbers that our stock could neither feed nor rest while the annoyance to ourselves was more than tantalizing finding it impossible to sleep in this camp we arose early and drove eight or ten miles before we could leave the persecuting horde of insects behind us we drove until we came to a most excellent spring of clear cold water unimpregnated with any trace of alkali and the best water we had drunk since leaving clear creek west of denver most of the many streams we had crossed were muddy and tasted more or less of the ever-present alkali finding it necessary to repair our wagon we stayed at this spring for two or three days it was a most picturesque spot lying between rows of magnificent buttes looking in the distance like ruined castles some of them perpendicular and circular in form they presented a variegated and fantastic appearance when viewed from a distance in spots they were brilliant vermilion but when broken by the watercourses passing over them they presented uneven surfaces of white clay which gave them their peculiar appearance after leaving these larger buttes our road gradually descended until we reached the banks of a ravine where we had great difficulty in getting down to the bed of the stream unyoking the forward oxen leaving only the wheel oxen attached to the wagon we chained and locked our wagon wheels but even with all these precautions we came to grief for the heavy wagon rushing down the steep incline caused the oxen to swerve in such a manner that the wheels cramped and the wagon was thrown against a mound of earth and loose rock that partly held it from a complete upset here we were in a deep ravine with no help near we could neither get out nor go on not a spot of ground was level enough to stand upon in any comfort the wagon had to be unloaded before it could be righted and as the noon hour had passed 
there was a prospect of spending the night in this gloomy cavern. There was no other alternative but for both of us to go to work and unload as soon as possible. Even unloaded, the wagon was too much for one man to lift. James rigged up a sort of lever, and with the help of the oxen, managed to right it again, and pull the half-empty wagon to a place less steep and more secure further down the slope. By the time we had carried our goods down the hill to the wagon and reloaded it, it was near sundown. Hitching on all the oxen, we drove down into the narrow and deep stream. The opposite side was fully as steep, and it required the combined strength of our cattle to pull us up the bank. This stream was called the Chugwater, where we spent the night, expecting in a few days to arrive at Laramie. Before reaching Laramie, we drove one night into a little park at the base of a mountain. It was almost a semicircle, rimmed with dark and forbidding mountains. A small stream winds its way along its timbered banks. There seemed to be a strange witchery to this place. The wind moaned and wailed most sadly. All through the night we imagined we heard strange sighs above and around us. We could hear stealthy trampings which seemed to come from other beasts than those that drew us on our journey. While we were stopping in Laramie, a soldier told us that this peculiar spot was called the Haunted Hole of the Black Elk. Perhaps if we had known that this little park had such an uncanny reputation, we might have pushed further on for our night's rest. However, nothing harmed us, and only the huge mountains that surrounded us so closely overpowered us with their immensity. The next morning, long before the sun's rays could penetrate this little dell, we were prepared to push onward, but not with great speed, for we were to climb another mountain up whose steep ascent we were to lift ourselves over two thousand feet. In one place, we wound around tall, ragged cliffs. The soil was loose and unstable, composed of pulverized debris and shaly rock, which kept constantly slipping, so that the oxen had great difficulty in keeping their footing. It had been a steep and tiresome climb, but the way seemed so rough and dangerous that to assure our safety we alighted, and very fortunately, for in less than twenty yards further, the rear wheels of the wagon began to slip over the shelving embankment, and it was with almost miraculous effort that our brave cattle pulled the wagon beyond the danger point. Every moment I expected to see it topple over the precipice, pulling our valiant oxen with it. James plied his ox goad more furiously than our cattle had ever felt before, but it was the time for greater effort, and after the danger was past, he almost wept over the cruel blows he gave our gallant team. Weary from the excitement of this day, probably more than the fatigue, we went into camp. I made great effort to be cheerful and happy, and tried to laugh away the remembrance of the peril through which we had passed. But all through that night in my fitful slumbers, I had visions of the towering cliff, and in my broken dreams felt the motion of the treacherous soil giving way over the sloping walls of the precipice. While traversing this slope of the Rocky Mountains, 
we climbed numberless ridges and penetrated many passes descending one lofty plateau only to encounter another one morning we struck an almost level plain which appeared several miles in extent there was only a dim trail to follow growing fainter as we proceeded until we finally lost it altogether the grass on this plain though coarse grew thick and close the way had been little traveled that season and the heavy growth had obliterated all signs of the trail we wandered over this plateau for hours trying to keep our northerly course growing more fearful every moment that we were lost at last we discovered afar off a fringe of trees denoting a stream on reaching it we drove up and down its timbered banks when to our great relief we again struck our lost trail at the ford we named this stream lost trail creek but it should have been box elder so thickly were its borders covered with a growth of those trees crossing this stream we again ascended a high rocky barren plain and for two or three days the trail led us over a most peculiar formation composed of large pebbles averaging the size of a goose egg our cattle became foot-sore traveling this rough roadway their hoofs were worn almost to the quick they could no longer travel with any degree of haste and it was truly pitiful to watch their limping efforts we decided to stop at the first water we came to and give them a chance to rest it was almost dark that night before we came to a little spring near the roadside and as soon as the poor brutes were unyoked they immediately lay down in their tracks and for several hours neither ate nor drank so weary and footsore were they next morning on looking down from our lofty camp into the small valley below us we discovered a tiny cabin and a wreath of smoke issuing from its wide chimney this cabin though rough and primitive denoted the presence of the white man our curiosity soon grew beyond bounds and the next day we yoked up our lame team and drove down to investigate we found two grisly old mountaineers located in this fertile valley they had a small herd of cattle with which they supplied the nearest forts with beef they informed us that they had lived in this lonely place for four or five years seeing no one for months at a time except the few emigrants who passed during the summer season or when driving their stock to the forts they had built a rude forge where they shod their own horses and those of passing emigrants from them we learned that we could have our lame cattle shod with heavy leather shoes this detained us however for two or three days as each ox had to be tied and thrown during the shoeing process but it enabled them to travel in comfort for many miles before it had to be repeated perhaps i have tediously described this cross march from denver before we reached the high road that led to california this part of our journey was the only portion not traversed by mail stage or pony express it lay through a region in which there were few white settlers but the providence which had been with us from the beginning safely guided us through all the perils that might have beset our path after many days we arrived at fort laramie from where we were to follow the regular overland road to california 
we forded the swollen laramie river in the early twilight and camped on its further shore feeling thankful that the loneliness which had hitherto oppressed us over the cherokee trail and through cheyenne pass was removed though young and inexperienced i had learned to adapt myself to the rough life of an emigrant crossing swollen streams encountering terrific storms and dreading constantly an attack from hostile indians but an american woman well born and bred is endowed with the courage of her brave pioneer ancestors and no matter what the environment she can adapt herself to all situations even to the perilous trip across the western half of this great continent ever ready to wander over paths which women reared in other countries would fear to follow End of chapter 9 and section 5